I mean, if sanitation isn't working well, everyone knows it. <laughs> right. Well, right. Well, you don't really don't think about it. But when it's not working well, hmm, yeah, yeah, everybody yeah. knows. Yeah. <laughs> The Launch by Entity Data podcast. This is the show formerly known as the Postlight Podcast. So yes, you're in the right place. I'm Tina Trapani. I lead product at launch with my business partner, Chris Lasacco. Chris is on vacation this week, but I've got two fantastic guests joining me today to talk about great product in the public sector. So we're going to get to that in a moment because I want to introduce my guests first. First, I want to introduce a veteran to the show, Natalie Kurz. Hello. Natalie leads product design at launch, and I just love having her on. She's been on the show a bunch. Love talking to Natalie. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you. I'm happy to be back talking about something near and dear to my heart. So I know. This is where both your experience and your passion is, so I'm very, yes. very excited to talk about this today. And next up, I am very excited to introduce a first-timer to the podcast, <laughs> And I know you're not supposed to have a favorite. I know you're not supposed to, but I don't care. She's one of my absolute favorite colleagues, Kathy LaDuca. Kathy is our public sector lead at launch. And I'm pretty sure she also runs the place. As far as I can tell, she just runs the whole place. Yes. Uh, <laughs> welcome, Kathy. I'm so glad to have you on. Oh, Gina, you flatter me. Thank you so much. And the feeling is mutual. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Kathy, I'm sorry. I got to out you. Kathy is also a martial artist, and a classical pianist. So my takeaway from this is that you're either going to make beautiful music with Kathy or she's going to take you to the mat. That, that's how I approach, <laughs> that's how I approach <laughs> working with Kathy. She's both like amazing and also a little bit scary. Oh, <laughs> I love that. love that about her. Thank you. <laughs> so we're going to talk about product in the public sector. And I'm going to start with the absolute table stakes basics. Because I tell you, when Postlight joined NTT Data, the whole structure of a large, you know, business that NTT Data is, you know, we were kind of a small boutique, is it's structured really by vertical, right, by industry. And public sector is one of those industries, right? There's, you know, manufacturing and financial services, and there, there's, a, there's few verticals. Public sector is one of them. Kathy, what do we mean when we say public sector? When we say public sector, we really mean state, federal, local government, towns. It can be anything that's publicly funded. So anything like, it could also be a public university, a school district, yeah. anything that's not uh, a for-profit of some sort. That would, it, is what it. we would consider a public service entity. So we're thinking like, you know, uh, public transportation, public school, yes. mm-hmm. prisons, courts, yep. all, government all, agencies. All of those things. Yeah. So unlike private sector, where a lot of our clients, you know, their mandate and their goals are, you know, revenue lines and profit, public sector groups. They're funded through the government, through taxes and government borrowing and revenue from government-owned enterprises, right? So so really kind of like the priorities of the clients that we work with, they're sort of, they're different, right? (laughs) Because revenue and profit aren't the the mandate, right? It's serving the uh, citizenship. Correct. It really should be. And it really should be focused on, and one of the reasons I love working with public sector is because you know that the work you're doing is actually impacting the way people live mm-hmm. and you can really make a difference in their lives. And really that's that's the mission, right? And so when we think about working in the public sector, to your point, we're not looking at revenue and, and profit and things like that. 
we're looking at how well are these agencies or these schools or whatever able to actually complete their mission or attain what they want to with their mission. And make it more accessible as well. Yeah. Oh, no, that's you're making a really great point, Natalie. So can you say more about that? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of government websites are really, really difficult to see from a mobile phone. Right. And there are certain segments of the population where that's the only Internet connection they have. So, you know, making sure that that the services that are being provided are equitable across the board, you know, that don't take forever to load. Not everyone has, you know, 400 megabit per second Internet. Right. So just taking into account these different situations that people in, in our country are in and designing for that. Right? And I would I would add to that. It's and also making sure that it's aligned to your constituency. So for instance, you know, my my parents are getting older. Uh, their ability to navigate some of these very challenging mm-hmm. websites and actually understand language that's being used or, and know when to fill in certain things. It's really daunting for a lot of folks. And so there is some level of being able to know who who you're actually serving and personalizing that to some extent yes. so that it is, to Natalie's point, something that you know is seamless to them and puts them in a situation where they can actually receive the benefit or the service that they're looking for. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that that makes a lot of sense to me, especially for folks who are elderly and aren't digital natives, right? Like didn't grow up with the phones in their hands. Mm -hmm. I remember, I mean, one of the toughest moments, you know, during the pandemic for me was when finally, you know, vaccination appointments became available. And my mom, who's in her 80s, who's one of the most vulnerable populations and needed that vaccination as soon as possible, right? Was like, called me and was just like, I don't know how to do that. Like, how do you do this? Mm -hmm. Like, I went to the website, I can't figure it out. And I was like, rage booking appointments for all of my relatives. (laughs) You You know, it went live very quickly. Everything's very fast moving. It was a big deal. But that accessibility, especially to folks who, like you said, Natalie, don't have the huge uh, monitor and keyboard and like fast connection who are working maybe on older phones. I mean, that's a huge design challenge. And Natalie, I know you've done a lot of work in public sector uh, as a design leader. What do you think about when you embark on a a new product, especially something that's, you know, user facing in the public sector? Yeah, I mean, well, that's a big question. The first thing is, you know, Mm -hmm. understanding who is this for, right? Uh, Taking a mobile first design approach, if it's something that's going to be out there. You know, I've worked on a lot of systems that are purely internal facing where someone's going to be at a desktop, you know, with two monitors and this is the way that it works. And so you can design for that. But when you're designing for the general public, you know, you need to keep all these other factors in mind. So yeah, a mobile first approach, user-centered design approach, and really pushing for user research and usability testing, which are two of the things that typically get cut from a budget first um, as soon as money starts getting tight. But again, in this case, a lot of times the development part of these projects is very expensive because there are so many systems to integrate yeah. with or you're dealing with so many legacy things. Right. So making sure that you have the right thing before you get to that point is critical in you know, meeting deadlines and rolling things out in a timely fashion and, and saving money right, and getting the products that people need out there fast. Right. I mean, I think a, a lot of the engagements, especially that NTT Data has in the public sector, are back end, you know, modernizing the back end, <laughs> moving from the mainframe, yep. going to the cloud, right? Because, right. you know, these things are about cost savings, right? Because you want to get the most value out, out of every tax dollar. Right. But I think, you know, reaching <laughs> the people who need to use the services and, and doing it in an accessible, intuitive way is also really important, right? So we're constantly talking about, yeah. especially at launch, we're really focused on that experience part of it is, 
you know, how do we balance those needs, right? How do we make that great experience when a lot of these projects are like multi-year migration projects, just upgrading kind of the the back-end stack, right? Because these big agencies have been around forever and they aren't moving at the speed, you know, of a startup and have millions and millions of users, right? They're working at a huge scale. Yeah. And that is it. Is it, it is all a huge scale. And to your point, a lot of technology projects that I see in the public sector are just that lift and shift, right? We're just going to get to the cloud. And that's a good first step, right? Like that's an important step. But while doing that, there's a lot of improvements that can be made to your system, right? To make the end user experience a whole lot better as well. So those are the kinds of projects that I really enjoy or greenfield projects. I've worked on several greenfield projects for the government where we're going to just replace this entire old system with a brand new system and let's just build it you know, from the ground up, which was really fun. That's a beautiful golden opportunity. It was. That, it was, for that sure. was such a good project in so many ways. Like, yeah, it was a very successful project. But, you know, a lot of it, it also kind of depends on who has the budget, right? There's so much, I mean, crazy. There's politics in government, right? There's so much politics in terms of who's <laughs> right. who's uh, owning this project. And is it coming from IT? Is it coming from some kind of user-centered department. And that often dictates kind of what is this project going to end up being? Is it just going to be a technology lift and shift, even if it should be more complete? Right. So a lot of it kind of depends on on right. what part of that agency or group is owning that project. Right. I would also add to that, right, that you also have to think about where is that budget coming from? So in some cases, when you're talking about, you know, a new website or, a, you know, a new system that you're building, you're not talking about your operational budget. You're talking about a capital budget. And then now you're talking about a budget process that can be very time-consuming and, and lengthy. And then it differs from state to state. So it's, it's just, you know, things that you have to navigate, but definitely not something that should be in any way daunting. In fact, if done right, there's so much opportunity that you can actually make an impact. And to Natalie's point, as long as you keep remembering what you're trying to achieve who you're trying to make these services accessible to and do it in a way that enables quick wins mm-hmm. and you can build off of that, there's tremendous opportunity for improvement in the services that government provides for people. Yeah. And I think there was an executive order that came out, you know, essentially mandating good user experience. And, that, and that's a very vague thing, you know, to put in an executive order and, and different people have different interpretations of what that means, but it did light a fire under a lot of agencies, you know, first and foremost, to make their forms digital. I think that was a key bullet point, if I remember correctly. And so there were a lot of projects coming out. It's just like, just make this form digital. But like, while we're at it, can we actually improve the form, right? Let's not make the Miss and Mr. field required as it is on your paper form, right? Like, or whatever those improvements are. So I encourage folks, you know, working on public sector projects like that, don't waste those opportunities, right? If you can make some small changes from the paper form to the digital one, like go for it, you know? Yes. Making forms better. <laughs> I mean, that's, sure. a whole other, that's a whole other podcast. Noble, but... noble work. And that is, that's a whole other episode. We're and making them work on a phone, making them work on a phone yes, is more right. some of these, you know, some of these paper forms are just ridiculous. That's right. Even understanding, I remember I was working on a project where we were taking forms and making them digitized and I couldn't even understand the language on the paper form. I had to spend like a whole week just talking to people about like, what do you actually mean when you're asking this question? Why is it worded this way? And then you start getting into whole things of, well, we have to call it that because the data that's coming from is 
labeled that way. And then you get into this backend data problem, which is a whole other, you know, data and government podcast. But yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of tricky things to what seems like a straightforward ask of just, we'll just take this paper and make it, you know, a fill, fill in the blank PDF. Like it's not always that simple. The database structure should never dictate the user experience. It should be the Preach other the way around. Agreed. Drive from the front to back, not the other way around. But when you're dealing with these giant data sets That's right. and, and IT folks, like, you know, there's huge downstream effects to changing something like that. Yes. After it's been that way for 35 years, you know. Right. That's right. You they have to be able to draw a clear line from this form exactly. field to this database field. I get that. I totally yeah. get that. So there's there's budget, <laughs> there's politics, there's where did the budget come from? What is the mandate? For someone who has never worked in this world, Kathy, what is the procurement process like oh. for a public sector project? Just sort of high level. Yeah, we're all just sort of like, uh, we all just, if you can't see us, but all shoulders right. went down, we just sort of <laughs> exhaled because it's no joke. It's <laughs> no joke. I, I will say this. I think there is a desire by public sector, you know, you have to follow the legal rules, right, and regulations. So typically we're talking about RFPs or RFQs or RFIs and potentially multiple versions of that and then responding and and then scoring and all of that and, and pricing accordingly. And so there's the traditional. And then one of the things that at least a lot of the agencies from the federal and the state level have started doing is these cooperative purchasing contracts, right? So you have in state and local, you have NASPO, for instance. And it's a situation where, you know, multiple states can use that as a opportunity to purchase off of. And what's nice about that is, you know, for vendors and for SI firms and anyone, really, you can respond to those, that solicitation once and get on that contract. And then, folks can from the different agencies can buy off of that. And that can make that a little bit more streamlined. And we're seeing that happen. However, we're also still seeing individual states putting out their own RFPs. Even if it's on a backdrop contract, they still want to make sure that they're really getting an opportunity to look at everybody to see what they have to offer and their ideas and and still can be lengthy because there's a lot of people that need to review that and weigh in and but ultimately, at the end of the day, it's it's going to come down to probably more often than not a public procurement process that could take months. Yeah. And in the federal yeah. government could take even longer than months. Even longer so, than that. Right. Yeah. And these RFPs, I mean, an RFP is a request for proposal, right? It's this huge package. I mean, the whole point is it's in service of a fair and transparent process. Absolutely. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. yeah. So um, people can bid and, you know, it, it's can, open can bid to best certain price, different. Yeah. Most value for tax dollars. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. That makes a lot of sense. But it adds process and time. It does it add does. process and time. And then one of the things that, you know, we're starting to see a lot of RFPs come out for, you know, specifically around the digital experience or the citizen experience, right? And I always find it um, interesting when the response is requested in Times New Roman font size 10 in a Word document <laughs> in this yeah. format. I almost feel in many ways that's missing the entire point of what the storytelling we're trying to even get across is. So I love it when, if we do have to respond to RFPs, we have the license by which to tell a story because it's almost like that's exactly, you know, you're trying to help somebody through their experience and sometimes it gets stuck with procurement and you're going back to these antiquated ways of, of responding to things. So I always find that an interesting, um, you know, dichotomy to have that. But 
on the flip side, when we have the opportunity to respond, you know, and show them some of the great things that we can do and how they can really speak to their constituencies, I actually don't mind the RFP process as much just because, you know, you, you do get to tell your story and, and show them what they could get, which is really neat. Yeah. I think a lot of the success really of an end, even an end project comes down to how that RFP is written. It comes down to that very, very first beginning process because many RFPs come in and they're technically driven. And like, there might be one or two lines in this 60 page document that say, we want a good user experience, right? But it's really just a list of requirements and they've already solutioned out what they want, right? Those are not the kinds of things that from a user-centered perspective that I get really excited about, right? The things that I get excited about are the RFPs that come out and say, here's the problem that we're having. You know, how can we find a partner to help us solve this problem? And I know that some of the agencies I've worked with have partnered with GSA or 18F within the government to help them write their RFPs. And that was actually a really fantastic. Um, I'm not sure how much that's happening anymore, but that was happening quite a bit years back. And it led to much better RFPs in terms of clarity of what they were requesting and what they needed. And then to Kathy, to your point, it let us tell a story as opposed to just checking off requirements in our response, because that's what so many of them come down with is, you know, okay, we need to make sure that we say this very specific thing in this very specific way so we can pass that gate and get to the next stage. What are GSA and 18F, Natalie? General Services Administration and 18F. So those are kind of agencies within government that help support government services. I'm, I, that's probably a really terrible explanation of them. It's simple, but that's all is that, the, the, the headline. <laughs> but yeah, an ATF is almost like the government's own internal digital agency. So they do a lot of consulting. They do a lot of very cool kind of innovative projects. But a lot of what they do is, is consulting or working with agencies to kind of help them through this process and, and help them build things that are good for the users. That makes sense. And, you know, I mean, there's something that we sort of plowed ahead without without saying, and maybe I'm stating the obvious here, but particularly in public sector, it is very, very common to outsource or partner with a service provider like NTT Data and others Mm -hmm. and and our competitors, right, and bring in a team to build something rather than build the team in-house for a variety of reasons, right? Most of these agencies are focused on their core competency, providing public education, running right. public trains and buses, right. yeah. uh, you know, which they should. Uh, running public libraries, which they should, right? And many of these agencies actually do have, you know, they're often small and spread very thin, but their own in-house, you know, technology teams, right? But the advantage of going with a partner, right, is you can ramp up a cross-functional team very quickly for exactly the amount of time you need for the engagement, right? There's there's cost savings and there's flexibility uh, that you wouldn't get by hiring in-house. But I think this is an important thing to know. So when you're having a frustrating or hopefully good but maybe frustrating experience with an experience out there in the world. Like it's usually not built by the postal service or by the department of education, right? It's built, you know, with their partner, which is something that, you know, I just think is um, so important to, to point out our, you know, clients in the public sector, you know, they'll talk about their teams just being really stretched. They talked about their, their like struggles hiring, particularly when, you know, when things were just on fire in the tech industry and, you know, they can't offer the salaries that uh, a big tech company can offer, for example. So getting talent is hard and role by role, it's harder to bring people in rather than go through a procurement process and bring in a team. Mm-hmm. So whenever I have a good experience, I think like, good job. Like I think about all the public servants and the long procurement process and everything that went into making the yeah. thing happen. And I appreciate it a little bit more. And I was kind of hoping that we could go around and talk about at least one of our just sort of favorite digital experiences from public sector that we appreciate and use on a regular basis. 
Natalie, maybe if, if you don't mind, I'll start with you. I've got a few, but I'll start with you. Do you have a favorite? I mean, mine is a little niche and I'm a uh, bias because I did some work on it, but it's USWDS, which is United States Web Design System. And this is essentially a design oh, yes. system that, you know, and, and this is meant to help agencies scale and, you know, quickly spin up. Because that, that's another thing is some agencies have like 70 different websites, right? Because every effort has some new website. So this is a way to make things easy to scale, easy to maintain. It's built in accessible. It's built in mobile friendly. So even if I'm not working on public sector, I often reference this website for best practices and ideas just in terms of when I'm designing interfaces. Oh, very cool. What's the site? And, and we're going to link to all these in the show notes as well. It's designsystem.digital.gov. Oh, this is so nice. I had no idea this existed. I'm so glad I asked. Very cool. Yeah. So this is um, this is a huge labor of love. And this is led by USDS, United States Digital Services, and 18F. They all kind of have hands in creating and maintaining this. And I can see, you know, in the showcase here on the website, I can see, oh, look at all these government sites that use this design system. Like, I recognize it now. Yep. Interesting. Very cool. Very cool. How about you, Kathy? Well, this one is near and dear to my heart just because it literally we live by it in my household. So the MTA app, we live outside of New York City. So we're not in New York, but our son goes to school in the city and he takes the Metro North into school every day. And for him, being able to find out when his train's going to be, where the train is, what the nearest train is, because let me tell you, at 6 a.m., he has fallen asleep and ended up at a station he didn't oh, no. expect to be at. Oh, yes. <laughs> and so, you know, that MTA app, it is, it is Bible to us. And then, you know, I love the fact that you can buy your ticket and activate your ticket. It's all one-stop shopping for me. So we, we live by that MTA app because it's really something that we use daily in, in our house. And the fact that our 17-year-old son uses it and it gives me as a parent some good comfort knowing where he is on a daily basis, I'm, I'm good with that app. That's my favorite app. This warms my heart, obviously. Yes. So yes. because the MTA is is a client, was a post like yes. client, is now a launch client. But full disclosure, we didn't build my MTA app and I use it and I love it. You want to go meet the train. You want to go meet the bus. Yes. You don't want to wait for it, right? Or you <laughs> like, don't want to be late for it, even and worse. And you want to be yeah. late for it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> We've worked at the MTA for a long time. Those are just some good people who want to help New Yorkers get where they need to go. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how people did it without the app, honestly. Yes, yeah, seriously. Seriously. I don't. And you know, the MTA gets a really bad rap for a lot of reasons. That app is great, though. It makes me so happy that, that your son uses it. And I think maybe some of the things that we worked on with the MTA kind of make their way into that app in bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. But uh, I agree. That's a really good one. Have you all used USPS Informed Delivery, the postal yes. service? Oh. oh my gosh, it's so good. So for those of you who don't know, you could sign up, go to USPS.com, signed up for Informed Delivery. So the postal service that carries dead trees in envelopes <laughs> to the <laughs> metal mailbox and slips them through a slot, scans every piece of mail that comes through and can email you a summary of what's going to show up in your mailbox. And I I signed up for it and I was like, this is going to be really useful. I mean, I checked, you know, it's incredibly useful. If you're a person who travels, if you're a person who is waiting for things, if you're just a person who just wants to keep track of like what, you know, what am I going to get in the mail? I try to reduce the amount of stuff I actually receive in the mail because I just don't don't want to deal with postage or dead trees. But there's still things that show up. And it's so useful and I'm so appreciative of it. And the volume that they must handle just absolutely insane. fries my brain. It's insane. Um, this summer, especially, we did a bunch of traveling and I just, it was so nice to be able to say like, oh, is there something? 
anything in the mail that I need to know about before I get home. Really, really like it. I also want to shout out the Park NYC app which is another one that I love because I grew up in the 80s where you'd have to like keep a bunch of quarters in the mm-hmm. in the, the ashtray in yes. your car to feed the meter. And then when you were like out shopping or doing a thing, you'd be like, oh, I got to go feed the meter. And you have to like yep. run back to your cars that you didn't get a ticket. And uh, I love Park NYC because you can enter in, you know, your meter, you can pay, you can extend the time when you're out and about. And it just makes parking in New York City way, way, way easier. And your car doesn't get broken into for the people who are trying to steal all your quarters, Uh, which I I really like. (laughs) I still find it hard to believe that I don't need quarters. Like even one parking meters that just have credit card slots, like that's still a, what? (gasps) This is so cool. I don't need quarters. No. Yeah. It's true. No, it's really true. I just switched over to the contactless payment for the NCA too. And I swiped my Apple watch on the way into the subway. Yes. And I just feel like I live in the future. This is awesome. <laughs> that is pretty like, cool. I just feel so good about that. And it just makes me so happy. The problem is that I have a 10 year old who, and she finds a vending machine that needs quarters. I never have quarters now because I just uh-huh. don't, I just don't need them. So <laughs> that's all right. Less plastic in the world. <laughs> we'll link to all these apps and experiences in, in the show notes, just because I think it's important to just see kind of what's out there. And I also would love to hear if you've got a favorite app that came out of the public sector or government site that you really like. I logged into ssa.gov recently, which is like the social security website. And it's really good. Like you see, I mean, I don't know who knows if social security is going to be here or in what percentage when it, when it's time for me to get there, but you can see like the history of your wages and how much you've earned and how much you would get. If, you know, if you took it at a certain time, I was really like happily pleased and surprised by what you can get there. Are there any others that either one of you want to want to call out? I mean, we have some actually in our locality that I find oh, yeah? incredibly useful. And there's one that you can literally sign up for. Um, it's called Nixel. And you can uh, sign up for these alerts. And it'll tell you when a tree is down and you can't go get your kid at school. Oh. because You know, something. Oh, man, is it fantastic. The fact that I know, you know, minute by minute you know, what my routes are, different places. And, you know, if the water main broke or something, not that that happens a lot, but, you know, when it does, just having some notification that gets pushed out that you can subscribe to is awesome. I don't actually have to question, you know, am I actually going to make it where I think I need to or am I going to have running water today. So it works out really well in that regard. Yeah. That is great. That is great. It's this common theme, which is like meeting people where they are, making their lives easier, making common common day-to-day tasks just easier. That's right. Making it very specific to them too, right? right? You know, that personalization. And I think when people hear that, they think that's like a really, really daunting thing. But it, you know, as you said, meet them where they are. And that's just knowing who you're trying to serve. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What's on your wish list? I love hearing feature requests and wish lists are, are, are my favorites. I'm always like, oh yeah, that's a really good idea. Like we should have that. Chances yeah. are there's an RFP and a procurement process right now for that thing. There very well might be. <laughs> Chances yes. are, yes. but maybe not. Who knows? <laughs> or there should be. The biggest thing for my wish list would be a centralized site where I don't have to know where to go to get my fishing license. I can just go to one place and say, I need my fishing license yes. and then it'll take me to the right place. Because that's another yes. thing with government agencies is, the general public doesn't know where one stops and another begins. And their sites are very closed off like that. Right. City, state. Well, even Medicare, Medicaid, and SSA, there's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of things where you have to bounce back and forth between them. And it's like, well, as a user, I don't know that. I don't know that that parts with SSA and not with 
Medicare. So something that is that kind of portal that tells me where I need to go and lets me do it easily. The switchboard. How may I direct your call? What are you asking there you for go. and where that, are you? That's kind yeah. of what it is. Yeah. I like yeah. that. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. No, it's true. Right. Because citizens don't have the structure of the government. Right. <laughs> and they shouldn't head. have to. And they, they shouldn't, shouldn't have, have to. to. Right? No. right. Right. Exactly. Your product should never uh, reflect your org chart. That's another one of our one of our rules. Right. Yes. It's just meet, meet the yes. person where they are coming uh, without knowing anything else. Well, and I think there's a component of that that makes people want to live in a place where they actually can make it easy for them to live where they are. That's the other yes. part of it. Right. Yes. You know, I think, you know, we're seeing a lot of shifting of the population and all of that. And, you know, people being able to recognize that when we're talking about government services, we're also talking about the recreation department and the community things or even public waste or public works or whatever. You know, all Mm -hmm. these things combined make your community either really, really awesome or it can really be kind of a pain. And, you know, you want people to live in, in that area and you want them to feel like a sense of community. It's just another way to have them embrace that because they have the ability to navigate their community even easier. And I think there's something to be said for that. I love for that. For sure. I mean, if sanitation isn't working well, everyone knows it. <laughs> right. It's working well, right. You don't really don't think about it. But when it's not working well, hmm, yeah, yeah, everybody yeah. knows. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Well, I want to thank you both so much for coming on the show and talking about all the the, the great work out in public sector and the way that, you know, technology companies and partners can get together and just make better experiences for citizens. Launch is a new group inside of NTT Data. It helps you and your org strategize, ship, and scale world-class digital experiences. And we'd love to hear from you. Uh, You should send us a note to catalyst at nttdata.com. Tell us, what are your favorite digital experiences coming out of the public sector? If you are a digital leader inside the public sector, what are you seeing? What are you grappling with? Uh, We'd love to hear from you. We read every single email that comes in. Send us a note, catalyst at nttdata.com. And thank you so much for listening. As always, we appreciate your time. Have a great week, everyone. 